Well, good morning. I have the privilege of opening God's Word uh, with you this morning, and it's so nice to see so many people here on a nice summer day. So, uh, huge encouragement to me to see so many here. Born in 1920, his early years were not easy. His mother died when he was five, and his dad remarried. He left home at the age of 14 and headed north to work in the mines, harvest fields, and once war was imminent, became a sergeant in the Air Force as an air gunner instructor. Following the war and upon his discharge, discharge, he married the love of his life. Always a man of initiative and ambition, he joined the police force as a motorcycle officer before buying his own ambulance company. His career was growing and so was his family with a daughter and twin boys. In 1956, he entrusted his life to Jesus Christ and had his faith immediately tested as he broke his back and every rib in an ambulance accident. Doctors told him he would never work and never walk again, but God had other plans for his life. Back fusion repaired his damaged spine and the use of his paralyzed arm was restored. He made a full recovery and from that time on, God was the focal point of his life. Family, work, and service. He loved his wife in marriage for almost 75 years and laid a foundation of faith in his children, six grandchildren, and 19 great-grandchildren. He served in the local church in many capacities, volunteered on a missions board for 44 years that took the gospel to unreached people. He lived out his faith, giving glory to God and pointing others to the hope found in Christ and Christ alone. Grandpa passed away last month, but left behind an incredible legacy to all those who knew him. As we buried him on Father's Day, about a month ago, I reflected not just on a life well lived, knowing that he had fulfilled the purposes that God had put him on this side of eternity to fulfill, but I also reflected on the legacy that he's left. Not just through his words, but through his actions, through his decisions, and his complete surrender of his life to Jesus Christ. Although many don't like to talk about it, the reality is that someday, all of us will die. And with it, all of us will leave a legacy. But, exactly, but who exactly will we leave this legacy to? And what type of legacy will it be? How do we accomplish that? And how should that change the way we live today? Leaving a legacy is one of those themes we see threaded throughout Scripture, from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. But today we're going to look at one of Peter's last reminders to the church at Asia Minor, his attempt to leave a legacy to those churches that he would leave behind. If you would please open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1 and stand with me as we read verses 12 through 15. So 2 Peter chapter 1. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you knew them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, sufficient in every way and inerrant, useful for instruction and teaching and reproof and correction. 
Father God, this morning I pray for myself that I will accurately uh, exposit your word and clearly communicate your message to your people. Father, may I humbly remember that I am simply a conduit of your word this morning. Father God, give us receptive hearts this morning as we explore the concept of legacy. Let us be encouraged by Peter's words and recognize both the instruction and the application that you have for each of us. In your name I pray, amen. Please be seated. A legacy can be established in two ways. One, it can be established through our actions, a pattern of behavior and decisions, an example left to those that would follow us. No doubt that was part of Peter's legacy as we look through the scripture and see that, especially to those that he knew intimately, his fellow disciples and apostles. However, the text that we just read is not a narrative of Peter's life, but rather a reminder given by Peter himself um, to the churches that he would soon leave behind. So the second way to establish a legacy is through the repetition of words, and it's the strategy that Peter employs and we'll be looking at this morning. A good teacher realizes the value of repetition. Research has shown that within an hour after hearing a spoken message, people forget up to 90% of it. I know that's not you guys here this morning. Or maybe that's the reason so many of you are taking notes. Uh, Certainly, God knew this in addressing Israel time and time again through the Old Testament. In spite of all the warnings and reminders through the centuries, Israel has had a great memory for the wrong things and a poor memory for God's truth. We just have to look in Isaiah 17.10 to realize that. It says in Isaiah 17.10, For you have forgotten the God of your salvation and have not remembered the rock of your refuge. Similarly, God then gave them Passover to be this annual reminder of his redemption, grace and mercy, judgment and justice, and the covenant that he had left um, with his people. But today, when Jews observe Passover... To be the, when Jews observe Passover, they remember the exodus out of Egypt while forgetting and rejecting the God who delivered them. Uh, we aren't any better. Even as believers, we tend to remember things that are better forgotten and forget things that we really should remember. Romans 7, 18-19 touches on that. And I think some of us or all of us can relate to this to some degree this morning. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Something we can all relate to to some extent. Thus, Peter pens the words in our text this morning from chapter 1, and later he tells his readers in chapter 3, verse 1, This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. And not long after Peter wrote his second letter, Jude had a similar reminder to his readers. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, both Peter and Jude were following the Lord's example. When the Lord had admonished the apostles to remember the word that I have said to you in John 15, verse 20. So I think we would all agree this morning that in terms of having a message stick or be retained... Repetition is so important. But let's flesh out some of this legacy concept a little bit more. 
What does the Bible say about who we are to leave a legacy for? I think, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but our immediate response would be, we'd be leaving it to the next generation, to our children. And we wouldn't be wrong in saying that, but we'd be a very narrow-minded if that's all we thought we were leaving a legacy to. A few weeks ago, as part of Rob Stevenson's charge to the Petrovichs upon the arrival of Marco, he read Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. If you are a parent here this morning, I know there's lots of you, I'm certain you've searched the scriptures and you understand the huge responsibility you have to teach and train your children in the ways of the Lord and leave a spiritual legacy for them. But what about those that don't have children? Is the admonition to leave a legacy limited to those who have children? Absolutely not. Peter's legacy statement in his second letter was not directed at children, it was written to a local church. And to give you some context of when he wrote the letter, Peter wrote the letter from Rome not long before his martyrdom. So if you're following along a youth bulletin, that might be a, a word you want to write down. Martyrdom. Look that one up. Um, this was a time of heavy persecution in Rome, um, probably under the leadership of Nero. You see, Peter was in a Roman prison awaiting his execution and wrote this final letter um, to, rem to remind the churches to live a life that is pleasing to God. Um, the atmosphere at the time in this area, there were many, many false teachers around who were exerting pressure on the churches to depart from the true knowledge of God. So that was also part of the context of why Peter was writing this. His, uh, his readers were starting to waver and hesitate uh, in their faith, and we'll talk a little bit about that later. However, we are not all in a position of authority or influence in the local church or network of churches as Peter was where a legacy can be established quite intentionally. So if we don't have the privilege of church leadership or the responsibility of, the ch of children, are we void of the opportunity to leave a legacy? Again, absolutely not. Okay? The recipient of a legacy is not limited to those that we have spiritual oversight of, but rather should extend to all those around us. Our sphere of influence might include extended family, co-workers, neighbors, teachers, coaches, the list goes on. You know your sphere of influence. We are all called to leave a legacy, to pass on biblical truth, to point others to Christ. It's not an opportunity only some believers get based on their position or level of responsibility, but rather is the evidence of a regenerated heart. So what about the type of legacy we are to leave? Whether we admit it or not, we are all leaving some type of legacy. A legacy, by definition, is simply an inheritance or anything handed down from the past. Our culture often views it as something tangible. For example, my father-in-law's legacy will be the cottage that he saved for, that he designed himself, that he built with his own, built with his own hands to facilitate family memory-making. He desires to have his ashes spread there and at some point will proudly hand that cottage down to the next generation 
and he will be remembered by this cottage. However, the legacy we talk about this morning is far more important than property, far more important than money. Rather, it has lasting value. It's the intangible, the knowledge that we impart, the joy that we exude, the priorities that we place on certain things in our life, and the source of our hope. So that's the legacy we're going to talk about this morning. At first glance, we often make the incorrect assumption that the term legacy denotes something, handing down of something beneficial or positive. But a legacy can just as easily be negative or detrimental. In Exodus 34, when the Lord calls Moses up Mount Sinai alone and appears to him, he says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping inequity and transgression, in, no, sorry, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children, to the third and fourth generation. Generational sin, not exactly a legacy that any one of us want to leave. Yet you think of the many who leave an ad- a legacy of addiction, of entitlement, of selfishness to the next generation. I see it all the time working with families in the education system. The huge impact that a parent's choice has on the life of their child. You don't need to look very hard or long at scripture to find similar examples of tragic legacies left for kingdoms and families. I think of Jezebel, queen of Israel, who exerted an unhealthy influence and power over her husband Ahab. She insisted on those 450 prophets of Baal, threatened to kill kill God's spokesman in Elijah, and then helped her husband take a family vineyard away from a man named Naboth, and then had him killed. She had a legacy of selfishness and cruelty, and when her husband died in battle, her son became king, and guess what? Continued in its tradition of injustice and poor leadership. A real legacy, a real negative legacy. Jezebel was eventually killed by her own servants. You can read the account of that in 1 Kings 18 to 21. Another name that comes to mind is Saul, King Saul. Saul was appointed by Samuel as the first king for the Jewish people after a long line of judges. Initially, he was a strong leader with the humility to ask for help and advice and wisdom. But jealousy and envy quickly got hold of him. His disobedience to God, his poor decisions, the growing strength of his enemies led to his depression. Saul's troubled mind led to illness and his ability to lead Israel deserted him. He unsuccessfully tried to kill David and was eventually killed by the Philistines. And although Saul started well, Saul ended poorly and left a poor legacy for both his son Jonathan and the nation of Israel. And you can read that story in 1 Samuel. On the flip side, the Bible is full of men and women that have left incredible legacies for future generations. I think about Daniel, taken captive and moved far from his home. He never forgot his people, his values, and his faith. God gave him the ability to clearly understand difficult situations and problems as he, as he served at least three successive kings that we're aware of. He was on the side of truth even when it made him very unpopular. He continued to worship God even though it could have cost him his job or even his life. 
And you're all familiar with the story in Daniel 6. An amazing testimony to all he worked and served alongside. And there was Esther, an orphan girl raised by her uncle. She quickly grew into a beautiful young woman with solid character and a quick mind. She soon caught the eye of the king's advisors and eventually married the king to become queen of the Persian Empire. With thousands of Jewish lives at stake, Esther had the courage to approach the king and get him to rethink his decision, which in the end saved the lives of many, many Jews. Queen Esther was in the right place at the right time, placed there by God for a very specific purpose, to save her people. Obedient to God regardless of potential consequences. A legacy of obedience and courage left for the next generation. And of course, it's hard to talk about legacies without mentioning the name David, the most famous king Israel ever had. From a shepherd boy to a king, a bold leader full of faith, David worked hard to keep his country safe from his enemies. Far from perfect, David made many, many mistakes, and we're aware of some of those. But he learned to repent and make things right. In the end, David did a great deal of planning to build a temple to honor God. But that legacy culminated in his son Solomon actually completing the building of the temple. A legacy of faithfulness and forgiveness for Israel, his family, and future generations. We all know who was eventually born out of his family line, don't we? I think we can all agree that the type of legacy we want to leave is less like we see in Jezebel and Saul and more in line with what we see in Daniel, Esther, and David. But the question then comes to mind, well, how do we leave this legacy? How do we accomplish it or ensure that that's the type of legacy we are leaving? The answer is quite clear in our text this morning. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and they are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. If the legacy you desire is to point others to Christ, the message should be communicated with urgency and kindness, out of faithfulness, and with an understanding of the brevity of life. As much as I would solely like to look at this passage this morning, I think it would be slightly irresponsible of me not to acknowledge the preceding text to see exactly what Peter was so adamantly reminding the churches of. So if you flip back or look back to the preceding text, we're going to read through verses 3 through 11 to get some kind of context as to what Peter was reminding the churches of. Starting in verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Interesting to note there, the list starts with faith and ends with love. Picking up in verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then it moves into the legacy statement from there. Verses 3 to 11 is the message that Peter so adamantly is reminding the churches of. And in, in truth, it could really be a sermon series on its own. Verses 3 to 4 remind us of the sufficiency of our salvation. By his divine power, his divine provision, his divine procurement, and his divine promises. Then the next few verses, Peter exhorts believers to not simply profess, profess faith in Christ, but actually live how he taught. The list of virtues, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love are all a result of faith. Peter then goes on to explain the necessary relationship between regeneration and a life that reflects these virtues that are inherent in the knowledge of Christ. Peter then digresses from his subject of salvation and addresses the importance of reminding people of the essential truth and specifically how to remind them. So as we look at Peter's framework for leaving a legacy, we're going to start with verse 12 and the first part of verse 12. He starts his framework with urgency, with a sense of urgency. This is how your legacy needs to be communicated. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. The therefore refers back to what we've just read, the greatness of salvation in verses 3 and 4, and the assurance of your salvation in verses 5 through 11. Themes so crucial that they must never be forgotten. Peter did not want, to, want his readers to forget they were saved, nor the blessings of their salvation. The future tense when he says, I intend always to remind you, shows his commitment to remind others whenever given the opportunity, but also goes a step further, um, reminding those in the ages to come who would in future read his letter. I think that was important to note. Contrary to the belief of some, there's no such thing as brand new spiritual truth. We haven't and won't be adding things to scripture. However, we are able to gain a clearer understanding of the timeless truths in God's word whether it be through teaching, reminders, or the Holy Spirit working in us as individuals. Like Peter, the Apostle Paul, as well as Jude, knew the necessity of repeating the truth as evidence in the books they authored. The epistles deal with the same gospel in all its richness by revealing it in terms of different, different analogies. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which you're all familiar with, tell the same story in three ways. Jesus repeated his message in sermons, in parables, in object lessons, everywhere he went. It was critical to the training of those 12 men. Even the messages of the Old Testament prophets are essentially the same as they preach law, judgment, and then forgiveness. Psalms repeat the attributes and works of God over and over and over again. Chronicles simply rehearses the material we've already gleaned from Samuel and Kings. And Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law at Sinai, readying the people to enter the promised land. Repetition, you get the idea. Throughout scripture, why would it be any different with this text? 
Secondly, from the text, the message needs to be communicated with kindness. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, is the way the last part of verse 12 reads. Peter was a kind shepherd who understood and exhibited sensitivity for the flock that he was entrusted with. Scripture extols gentleness, meekness, and tenderness, characteristics that Peter displays here when acknowledging that his readers already possessed godly virtue. So he was being encouraging, not condescending, not indifferent to their devotion to Christ. Now remember the prevalence of false teachers at the time when he's giving this in his letter, giving this reminder. The use of the word established to describe his hesitant or wavering readers is appropriate here. It was the exact same word that Jesus used to describe Peter at a memorable point in history. Remember when Peter was so confident that he was so established in the truth that he would never apostatize. So youth, there's another word for you, apostasy. So apostasy is a lapse or denial of faith. So I've got a question for you if you're a young person sitting there. Can you think of a time when Peter may have had a lapse in faith or denied his faith? Anybody under the age of 20? When was the time that Peter denied his faith? Do you remember that story? After Jesus was arrested, denied, denied knowing Christ three times before that rooster crowed. So he knew and he could relate to his readers quite well here, right? He, Peter thought he was this man who was entrenched, that was totally devoted to Christ. Thought he was established. And then even he turned and denied Christ. So he was very aware of where his readers were coming from and some of the challenges they faced. Thirdly from our text, the message needs to be given out of faithfulness. Verse 13 says, I think it right as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Remember, Peter was an intimate confidant of Jesus, a recognized leader of the twelve, and lived in closer proximity to the divine truth than any other man. Yet he defected from his master for a time. He knew that even believers grounded in truth need constant shepherding to protect them from wandering into sin. Peter, the biblical shepherd, exhibited faithfulness in teaching the people that God had entrusted him with. I think it right, he says, beyond his devotion to his task of shepherding, and loyal, it was his loyalty to the Lord and doing what was right that superseded that. As long as I am in this body to stir you up, as long as God gave him earthly life, Peter would be faithful to stir those up that the Lord put in his life by way of a reminder. I love the term that he used, to stir you up. And originally that term means to arouse completely or to thoroughly awaken from, a, from drowsiness or sleep. Nothing short of spiritual alertness would satisfy Peter. But another interesting choice of words here. Who was it that was unable to stay awake in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before Jesus' death? Peter. Right? So again, to stir you up, the choice of words used here is very personal for Peter. By way of reminder, he constantly and tirelessly keeps teaching and reviewing all major themes, doctrines, and commands of Scripture. And finally, the last two verses, verses 14 and 15, touch on the message needs to be conveyed with an understanding of the brevity of life. That life is short. 
since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Peter's passion and motivation for ministry, for the reminders, included a clear understanding of the brevity of life itself. It was reasonable for Peter to expect that his death was not far off. He was imprisoned and he was awaiting execution. At the time he wrote this letter, he was well into his 70s. The Lord also made it clear to Peter that his death would be sudden. In John 21, 18, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. The term you will, st you will stretch out your hands implies execution by crucifixion. Shortly after writing Second Peter, he was executed. But not before making a unique request about his execution. Second chance, young people, do we know what Peter's request was before he was executed? Good, to be flipped upside down on the cross. Any idea why? Excellent. He felt unworthy to be crucified the same way that Christ died. You see, Peter knew that his, his days were numbered, and he was relentlessly diligent in reminding the believers of the truth. So that after my departure, you may be able to recall... The term departure refers to his death, but it's used purposely here. It denotes leaving from one place, earth, to go to another place. It's not an end, it's a departure. He's leaving earth to go to heaven. He wasn't concerned that his audience remember his departure, but that they would remember the truth that he taught them. So how do we leave a spiritual legacy? Well, it's pretty clear here. By repeatedly delivering our message urgently, with kindness, out of faithfulness, and with an understanding of the brevity of life, just as Peter did. He desired to leave a final will and testament to remind the saints of the greatness of their salvation, the blessedness of assurance, and to make certain that false doctrine did not rob them of their rich spiritual heritage. However, if we look at the rest of Scripture, including what we know of Daniel, Esther, David, okay, as well as the life of Peter, the message needs to be combined with an exemplary life that is lived in line with those truths. Words and actions pointing to salvation in Christ and Christ alone, by grace through faith. So now with this understanding of what it means to leave a legacy, how should this change the way that we live today? Well, if you're here this morning and haven't surrendered your life to Christ or put your faith in Him, I would encourage you to, ex to explore the truths of scripture, the very truths that Peter was so adamantly reminding the early church of. I would encourage you to ask the person you came with about the sacrifice that Christ made, his offer of forgiveness, or the hope that it brings. We as leadership in a church body would love to sit down with you and have a dialogue, answer some questions that you might have. Maybe you're sitting here this morning as a relatively new believer, thinking, I would love to leave a legacy to those around me. But I'm no Peter. I wouldn't know where to start. I wouldn't know what to say. My challenge to you would be begin to 
pray for wisdom and understanding and the confidence and courage to share with others. Get into the word. Gain a better understanding of those spirit or spiritual and scriptural truths that you want to communicate to others. Go a step further and identify someone that could help you on the journey, providing some clarity or direction or simply holding you accountable to being a student of God's word. Maybe you're a mature believer sitting here this morning who diligently reminds those in your sphere of influence of these truths and lives a life in line with them. My challenge to you is don't stop at simply reminding others of these truths, but give them the tools to dig into God's word. A legacy that's going to last, that's going to be passed down from generation to generation, cannot be a secondhand faith. By simply reminding others of the truth, but never equipping them to wrestle through it on their own, is what John Piper equates to taking dinner guests to the banquet, but never showing them the kitchen. So, show them the kitchen. Teach them how to dig into God's word for themselves. Give them the tools. Are these the only points of application from this text? Absolutely not. I know when I'm studying and preparing to preach, God is always shaping me. And I realize through this process and through this text that I'm not enough like Peter. I often rely on my actions or my life choices to speak spiritual truths to those around me. But in doing that, I quite often fail to explicitly communicate the source of my joy and hope simply expecting those that are observing me to connect those dots for themselves. I need to be far more intentional to use words to remind my children and those in my sphere of influence of who Christ is and the hope that I have in him and him alone. No doubt we all want to leave a legacy to our children, our church, and our sphere of influence. I think it's safe to assume that we all want to leave a positive legacy for that next generation. But it's not enough to leave a legacy as a lover of the outdoors, an innovator of car wash systems, a NASCAR fan, a nutritional guru. Scott's not here, I guess he's upstairs teaching. <laughs> we can be remembered and appreciated for all those things, but our legacies need to point to Christ. My grandfather was known for his service to others, but his legacy was the motivation behind that servanthood, to bring glory to God. My grandfather was, was valued because of his wise words, but the legacy is in his biblical wisdom. My grandfather was remembered for his integrity and commitment to character, but his legacy was in his godly character. What legacy are you leaving? Does your life give glory to Christ? Who specifically are you leaving that legacy to? Are you leaving the legacy through repetition, both in action and word as Peter did? These are tough questions to ask ourselves this morning. But too many of us never mention the word legacy. Too many of us never reflectively think through our lives until the end is near. So this morning we should be thankful. Thankful that we can ask these questions now. When, with God's help, we can act on them before our lives on this side of eternity have ended. Let's continue, or for some, let's start building that legacy of faith today. Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful for your challenge to each of us. Your challenge to build a legacy. 
not on those things that are tangible or earthly, but a legacy built on things that are eternal, things that have lasting value. Father, may our legacies that we aspire to leave not be self-serving or motivated by pride or concerned about our reputation. Rather, may our legacies clearly point to you and give you the glory. Father God, I pray that you give us the opportunity, even in the week coming, to communicate the truth of Scripture to those around us, to our children, to our church, to our sphere of influence. And Father, that we will live lives in line with those truths. Father God, I, I pray that others may see you through us. In your name I pray, amen.